Hello and welcome back to another episode of the It's a Crime O'Clock Somewhere podcast. This is episode 76. Today I'll be discussing the murder of Anastasia Annie Hester. My sources for today's episode are Dateline, season 30, episode 25, titled The Undoing, The Cinemaholic, Oxygen, socialtelecast.com, and spikytv.com. As usual, all of my sources will be linked in today's show notes. break-in in the middle of the night, stabbed multiple times. I can see blood everywhere. It is a horrific crime scene. One of the scariest cases I've ever seen. On June 10, 2016, the police received a phone call around 3.30 a.m. about an assault that had occurred. The police arrived at the scene about 30 minutes later. The crime scene was at a ground floor apartment at the East Park Apartments in Gresham, Oregon. The paramedics had already taken the victim, Annie Hester, to the hospital. The front door was unlocked, and there was bloody shoe prints on the floor. Annie was found lying on the floor near the back of the apartment. Annie was still alive when she was taken to the hospital. So they wouldn't contaminate the crime scene, the first responders tore down some of the fence in the backyard to get Annie out in the ambulance. It was there when they spotted a window that looked into the apartment. A cinder block had been used to gain access inside. The window led led them to the bedroom of Annie's daughter, Alice, who was only four years old at the time. Alice was nowhere to be found. The police were able to determine that Alice's dad was a man named Matthew Hester. They needed to contact him to see if he had his daughter, and he did. Annie and Matthew shared custody, and it was his night to have his daughter. Annie's apartment only had one bedroom. Annie had been found on the living room floor next to the sofa bed where she had been asleep. It was a very violent attack, and Annie didn't survive. Near Annie's body, they had discovered a knife. It was a folding pocket knife, and there were two more knives discovered in the kitchen. They were larger, and they had once been in the butcher block from the kitchen. The attack was so savage that the killer had tried to cut off Annie's head. Sorry, I know that was really graphic. There was a lot of evidence and a lot of rage to this. The police had determined if this was a personal attack or not because the killer had gone in through the window. Annie worked at a call center and made several good friends. Annie had a very take-charge attitude. Her parents divorced when she was only seven, and Annie worked at an after-school program before going to work at the call center, where she became a supervisor. In 2006, Annie married Matthew Hester. He loved video games. Annie's family believed she settled for Matthew, and they weren't too fond of him. Three years into their marriage, Annie and Matthew had Alice. Annie's world revolved around Alice. But less than a year after their daughter was born, the couple divorced. Annie and Matthew worked out a custody agreement, and it was amicable at first. Annie worked at the call center, but also did face painting on the side with her friend. So now we get into one of the most horrifying 911 calls I've ever heard. Annie had called 911 herself. The lead investigator, Detective Aaron Turnage, and his team were so disturbed by this call. Annie plays the call at 2.59 a.m. 
name of the person that did this to you? Annie had been stabbed 60 times. Some of the wounds were about 8 inches deep and something had been carved into her shoulder. It looked like it was a VXV. The police canvassed the area and spoke to neighbors. Around 11 p.m., several of them heard sounds of a woman screaming and a thud outside the building. One neighbor said they had to turn up their music and turn their fan on to drown out the noise. At 3 a.m., several neighbors said they heard a woman screaming again, a door slam, and a car leave, but no one called 911. Detective Turnage began looking at the people closest to Annie, starting with her ex-husband and his new wife. Matthew was 35, but according to him, had been undiagnosed, had undiagnosed health problems. He was unable to work because he was in constant pain. Detective Turnage said Matthew was an actor and deserved an award for the act he put on when he came into the police station. And so I guess, um, obviously I told you at the house that your ex-wife is deceased. Mm -hmm. But you didn't say? Didn't say how or anything. We'll talk about that in a minute or two. If you think Matt seemed a little disinterested in learning how the mother of his daughter had been killed, you are not alone. Minutes later, another detective told Matt what had happened to Annie and about her 911 call. She said that she had been stabbed. Officers responded down there. Um, She had been injured. She was transported to the hospital and she was pronounced dead at the hospital. And at this point, we're investigating this as homicide. Did your wife say any ex-wife say anything about having any problems with anyone? I don't talk about her personal life. Okay. The police asked Matthew about his history with Annie. Matthew admitted that he cheated on every wife he's ever had. And he said he was not good at relationships. In 2014, Matthew met and married Angela. Angela had children of her own, and it was then that the custody battle started for Alice. Matthew said he and Angela were in bed at the time that Annie was killed. They had four children in their home. Matthew said Angela's kids were a handful, and he said they were very tired, and Angela hadn't been feeling well. Angela was questioned in the next room. Angela said they were in bed by 10 p.m., but were both awake. Angela was asked if Matthew had gone anywhere while they were both in bed. Angela said no, that he would have woken her up. Angela and Matthew both willingly handed over their cell phones. Matthew and Angela had other roommates besides their children. Detective Turnage spoke with them. They actually had three roommates. One of the roommates, Aaron McCraw, was Angela's husband before Matthew was. He was the father of two of her children. Aaron said their relationship was odd, and Aaron said he wasn't there on the night of the murder and was actually at his girlfriend's house. The next roommate said he was out on the night of the murder. He said when he came home, he did see Angela and Matthew lying in their bed around midnight. The third roommate, Karina Walters, was questioned. Karina and Angela had been best friends since high school. Karina stayed in the garage. The couple's vehicle, a silver Mazda, was right outside. Karina said she would always hear them coming and going because their car made a god-awful rattling noise. Karina said they didn't leave on the night of the murder. Karina said she passed by their bed around 3 a.m. and that Angela and Matthew were in bed. The police kept digging and asked Karina one more question. Angela into threesomes, groupies, girl and girl, guy and guy, anything like that, or is it all pretty normal? It's very normal with them. Now we are going to be talking about Annie's personal life because for some reason this came up, which is understandable because the police needed to get all the facts, and I'm not judging at all. 
Matthew told the police that Annie was in a relationship with a man and his girlfriend. Annie also held pirate parties, so the suspect pool expanded. Annie was also into kinky sex. By the way, who gives a fuck? So she was involved with a lot of people. The police spoke to the couple who, who she was involved with. They, including Annie, were all part of a group that took part in role-playing as pirates. The police explored that world, including the part where, where some enjoyed using knives as a kink or fetish, but Annie wasn't too fond of the knife play. About six weeks before the murder, Annie and the couple split. The couple had an alibi and they were eliminated. Behind Annie's apartment fence, there was a path called the Springwater Trail. The police searched the trail over several days, and there were transients and homeless people. The police did have to also look into the robbery theory, but it didn't seem like anything was missing from Annie's apartment. Matthew was interviewed again about 12 hours after he was first questioned. Angelo was also back again as well. Matthew was still displaying the signs of not being able to walk, but Detective Turnage thought it was something other than illness. He was convinced that Matthew was acting and could actually walk just fine. Obviously, we got to consider all possibilities here, and mm -hmm. I'm sure you've seen TV. When we have situations like this, you know, everybody points to the ex-husband did it. I want to help you guys. Because, and I, I want to... The... <clears throat> Sorry. <clears throat> I think I'm worried about my daughter. The police asked Matthew to take off his shirt, but they found no scratches on him. The shoe prints found in Annie's home were from a size 9.5 or 10. Matthew said he wore a size 11. Detective Turnage tried a different tactic with Matthew. They told him that they had more evidence on him than they really did, and they tried to rattle him. To let you know that my investigation clearly shows that you're responsible for Anne's death, and you're involved in it intimately. There's well, a you would have shot so. No, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. If you thought I did, you would have No, nope, not necessarily. Thing to do with her death. Detective Turnage was stunned by what Matthew said. And meanwhile, Angela claimed she wasn't feeling well, but wanted to help. I'm just going to keep my eyes shut and my head down. Okay. How did it make you feel when you heard about her being killed? Shocked. Mm -hmm. um, Non-believing. Um, extremely sad. Angela said it was around 3 a.m. when their dog started to whine. She said she took them out and got sick. She said she woke Matthew up to help her. Angela said she and Matthew both showered around the time when the murder occurred, but Matthew said he never got out of bed that night. A week after Annie's murder, she was laid to rest. The police also took surveillance. Annie's family suspected that Matthew and Angela were involved right from the beginning. They said it was hard to see Alice with them. While the police were watching at the funeral, they noticed that Angela had something on the back of her right hand. It was about an inch and a half cut. The police did some digging. Matthew and Annie seemed to have an amicable divorce in 2012. Matthew paid $200 a month in child support. Even when Matthew and Angela got married, things stayed that way at first. But Karina admitted that they all took vacations together because things were so good. Karina said that Annie wanted her mom to watch Alice more often, but Matthew didn't want that. And then that's when the custody battle became nasty. It became so nasty that Angela called the Oregon Department of Human Services. She reported that Annie was neglecting Alice. 
Annie sent an email to a friend about it, and she basically wrote that she was done dealing with the shit and that she couldn't comprehend it. The state found no evidence of child neglect. Angela started becoming more involved in the child exchanges, and Matthew claimed that Annie abused him. Matthew stopped paying the child support, and Annie called Matthew uncooperative and antagonistic. Matthew and Angela only wanted Alice for the benefits because neither of them had a job. Their children apparently had medical issues, and they collected $2,000 a month. They said that Alice was experiencing issues going between two households and claimed that she had bipolar disorder. Annie's lawyer said in court that it was all part of a scheme to earn more, more money from the state. They saw Alice more as an ATM or meal ticket. A judge ruled that Annie was the better parent and she was awarded full custody of Alice. This was just six months before Annie was killed. Matthew was given a bill of about $29,000.166 in court fees and $13,140 in child support fees. Annie never expected to see any of that money. In Oregon, one of the repercussions for not paying child support is losing your driver's license. A warrant was also issued for Matthew's arrest a month before Annie was killed. Karina said Angela was crying and angry, but Matthew had no reaction. Karina said Matthew pretty much gave up. Karina said that Angela talked about wanting to kill Annie because if she killed her, no one would miss her. Karina thought she was just furious about the court proceedings and didn't take it seriously. The police went back to search for a surveillance footage from the night of the murder. Just around 11 p.m., a neighbor's camera caught a car leaving near An Angela and Matthew's home. It was a silver SUV leaving the driveway. They couldn't tell who was driving, but the car was caught on nine more cameras throughout the area on its way to Gresham. They took about 26 minutes, and it led them to the apartment complex where Annie lived. The car arrived around 11.23 p.m., and around 3 a.m., the car returns to Matthew and Angela's. Karina was asked about not being able to hear the car. She said she believes they didn't start the car when they backed out. She got very emotional and said if she thought she could have stopped it, she would have. She also said she should have taken the threats more seriously. Detective Turnage said he believes Karina lied to protect her friend. The police then searched Matthew and Angela's phones. They took a look at some of the photos from each phone. On November 8th, Matthew sent Angela a Payless Shoes coupon. Angela then sent Matthew a photo of some shoes an hour later. They were two different boots. The police took the photo to a manager at the store. The manager confirmed the shoes were Airwalk Miras. The police knew that the tread pattern they were looking for was the same shoe. The manager also said the picture was taken at their Clackamas, Oregon location. They knew because that was their only store that didn't have the carpet replaced. The store was about 10 minutes from Matthew and Angela's. In November, in November, seven months before the murder, only one pair of the Airwalk Miras were purchased. The card belonged to Angela. The tread patterns were matched to the crime scene. The police had evidence placing Angela at the scene, but not Matthew. The police knew he was involved, but they kept digging for evidence. Matthew began posting updates about his life on YouTube, and Alice was also still in their care. Annie's family were fearful for her and for the entire family. The police did DNA testing on the murder weapons, but neither Angela or Matthew's DNA was found. However, there was an advance in testing smaller samples. By October 2017, Matthew and Angela moved 650 miles away to Pocatello, Idaho. The police did surveillance on their new home. Matthew seemed to be walking just fine. They were at Costco and Matthew was seen slinging cases of water 
and he was also seen mowing the lawn and doing chores around the house. On October 4th, 2017, Angela was arrested and charged with Annie's murder, but she didn't go quietly. police observed the cut on Angela's hand, which had turned into a scar. She was massaging it while the police spoke to her. Using the new technology, they also found Angela's DNA on the knife block in Annie's home. They also found bloodstains in their silver SUV. The police gave Angela some water during the interview. She held the cup and used a tissue, and it didn't seem like it clicked in her mind that DNA was what got her. Matthew was also at the station, and again, he was acting like he couldn't walk. Matthew told the police that he had to accept that Angela did kill Annie once he was confronted with the evidence. Matthew said on the night of the murder he was sleeping when Angela woke him up around 3 a.m. He said Angela was panicking and he said she was bleeding and shaking. Matthew said he helped her clean up but said he didn't ask her what happened. Matthew also said he cleaned up blood from their car and lied to the police even though he thought Angela could have killed Annie. Matthew eventually admitted that Angela had planned to hire someone to kill Annie at first, and that person was her ex-husband, Aaron. Matthew said Aaron would have agreed to do it. Aaron and his fiance were actually about to pick up the kids in Idaho when the police asked Matthew to call Aaron to discuss this plot, and he agreed. Hello? Hey, is Aaron there? Yeah, hold on. Thanks. Okay, yep. Okay, what's up? Hey, um... I don't know if you guys know, but uh, Angela got arrested. I heard you were arrested. No, Angela's the one who got arrested. I just got out of the police station. I want to make sure that our story is the same um, when I go in and talk to them again. So I, I'm not sure what you right. know. Of, like, did she talk to you I at know all? Nothing. You know nothing. So, no. so you weren't involved in this at all. No. Did Aaron and his fiance Emily thought the phone call was bizarre. They were questioned in this episode. Aaron said he was questioned and polygraphed after that call. And Aaron now says he has been diagnosed with PTSD and prescribed medication. Aaron said he never planned to kill Annie with anyone. He said he wouldn't have agreed to do that. Aaron said Matthew made that up to prevent him from having the kids. Detective Turnage doesn't believe him. Aaron and Matthew walked free after their interviews. And after Angela was arrested, she was transported back to Oregon. David Hanna was the prosecutor in this case. Invasion, a break-in in the middle of the night. Someone startled from their sleep, stabbed multiple times. It's one of the scariest cases I've ever seen. Angela was facing the death penalty, and Matthew was only facing a resisting arrest charge. And it was later dismissed, and he returned home. The four children were put into foster care. Karina also still lived there and said Matthew didn't do anything but play video games. Karina worked and hoped that Matthew would leave. She did eventually kick him out and Ma Matthew went to live with a friend. The police eventually received a phone call from a woman who worked at a life insurance company. She said she had received a call from Matthew. Matthew asked how he could get his hands on the $100,000 life insurance payout from Annie's policy because he believed he was the beneficiary. Annie actually had two life insurance policies, one from work. Matthew wasn't the beneficiary, much to his surprise. Annie had changed one to her mom and the other to Alice. 
In June 2019, Matthew was arrested and charged with conspiracy and solicitation to commit murder. Matthew asked for a lawyer. Matthew and Angela were both at the same jail in Portland, and they were both offered a plea deal if they testified against each other. Matthew pled not guilty to his charges, and Angela pled not guilty to aggravated murder. In 2019, before Angela's trial, state legislatures in Oregon narrowed the crimes that would get the death penalty. Angela wasn't speaking with prosecutors about a plea deal, and Matthew was only facing eight years in prison. Matthew continued to tell lies, and Angela wasn't talking at all. In November 2020, Angela pled guilty to murder, and she was sentenced to 25 years to life. She'll be eligible for parole in 2042. Matthew eventually took a plea deal in August 2021. He pled guilty to hindering prosecution and hiring Aaron to kill Annie. He was sentenced to less than five years in prison, and he'll be eligible for parole in March 2023. Detective Turnage believes that they will be able to charge Matthew for murder at some point. The courts are open, and he'll still be able to be charged. Police believe that they were angry about the custody and court fees, and there was only evidence that Angela was inside Annie's apartment. Alice now lives with Annie's mom after years of fighting to be able to adopt her. This case had a lot of people involved, a lot of people trying to blame the murder on each other and an evil man and woman who planned to kill Annie because they wanted Alice for the money, but didn't want to work. Annie seemed like she was a great person and mom. Several children's lives are ruined because of the evil acts of these people. Luckily, Alice is being raised by her relatives and not in foster care. I'd love to know what you think. Do you think there was a murder plot being discussed? Do you think it was Matthew and Angela, or do you think Angela acted alone? My book recommendation for this week is Someone's Watching Me by Zoe Rossi. Summary. Is someone dangerous out to get her, or is it all in her mind? Becky's life is almost perfect. Growing up, she could have never imagined living in such a safe, beautiful home with a boyfriend as loving and kind as Alex, and hopes for a little family of her own. But then standoffish Max moves in next door and things begin to fall apart. First, someone starts trolling her social media. Then she finds her tire slashed. By the time she discovers the dead bird left waiting for her like a prize, she's sure someone is after her and someone spied some strange goings on behind her kitchen window and she suspects that person is Max. Frightened, Becky turns to Alex for help, but she's surprised to find that he and Max have become firm friends and that Alex is convinced it's all in her mind. But when news of a missing young woman breaks, Becky knows she has to do something. She's sure she's seen this woman in Max's home, hasn't she? With Alex concerned that she's losing her grip on reality, does Becky dare keep digging, knowing her almost perfect life could shatter into imperfect little pieces? Becky thought she had a perfect life, but she's convinced that Max is out to get her. Alex and Max become friends, and somehow Alex is convinced that Becky is just imagining things. This book was full of twists and turns, and makes you as the reader think that Becky maybe has made it all up in her head. I give this book an 8 out of 10. I hope you all enjoyed today's case, and thank you for waiting a few weeks till I came back from break. Please subscribe to my blog, follow me on Instagram and Twitter, email me, buy me a coffee, and leave me a 5-star rating and review. I'll be back next week with an all-new case and book recommendation. And remember, it's Crime O'Clock somewhere.